Thank you for listening to Bellwether's Wednesday night service every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. sharp. Join us. Now stay standing, let's pray together. Dear Lord, you are the great I am. We come in here uh, on this cold day, in the middle of our weeks, and all of us uh, have things that are probably on our hearts. Maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's something in our life, maybe uh, it's a job that has become a burden and we don't know where you're leading us. Uh, Maybe it's an illness. I pray that we would know that you are the great I am, that you heal, you restore, you transform, you teach, you speak into our lives. So we don't just ask you to do that, you do do that. We ask that we'd be receptive. We ask that we would follow. We ask that we would hear and believe that you can indeed heal and transform us into new people by the blood of Christ, by the resurrection of Christ. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this building on a corner, and a building is by no means a church, but it is a place that we can gather, and dear Lord, help it to always glorify you, radiate you, a light from this corner that is Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you all. Y'all can take a seat, and uh, if you would, uh, grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 3. A couple things real quick. First, again, thank you all for being here. This is a time that uh, we believe in as a church that we want to use, again, to connect you all first to Christ and with one another and to give you all a word of hope uh, and encouragement in your life. So as I close uh, this, uh, this word, we are going to have some prayer time, and uh, we're just glad you all are here. So John 3, and... I'm going to get into John 3, part of that, and then part of John 4 tonight. But I want to first start off about different types of people. Uh, I think all of us have heard about, you know, you're a certain type of person. And the main one that comes to my mind is, you know, are you a type A or not? And a lot of, uh, a lot of our great business leaders, executives, sometimes like to throw type A, but you don't have to be in business. You could be uh, in any professions, but uh, a type A uh, to me, would mean that you know you're organized, uh, you, you think clearly, you speak clearly, uh, you respond quickly, you get it done. You're just a get it done uh, person, guy. Can be a gal. My wife very much get it done uh, type A. But then there are other types too. Uh, there's what I call the uh, the type B. And I don't know if uh, if y'all like define type B in your mind, but to me. A type B person is, uh, if a type A likes to uh, always, let's say, color within the lines and always think in black and white, right or wrong, a, uh, a type B would say, you know, I, I like to color outside the lines and I think in, uh, in gray and not everything's black and white. And, you know, there's always uh, maybe not a right or wrong. There's something in the middle. Um, a lot of times we think a type B would be, you know, artsy or a uh, very creative type. So there's types A's and type B's. So, so forgive me if I'm trying to, you know, type people, but I think a lot of times that's what we all think of. 
I really think there are four types. Okay? There's a type A, there's a type B, and then there's the types that look like type A, but they're really type B. You know what I'm saying? Like that, they dress, I mean, they, they look the, maybe the clean cut image and everything, but they're really, they really like thinking gray. They like to color outside the lines. They're like rule schmools, you know? I mean, honestly, that's what I kind of say, rule schmools. I mean, rules are made to be broken. Then there's the fourth type that might look like a type B, but really is a type A, and who, you know, looks arts and everything, and maybe thinks creatively, but really organized and get her done. So I don't know if people are coming to mind in, in your mind, but uh, my wife uh, calls me at number three. She's like, you like to look like a type A, but you're really type B, John Hume. Uh, we've talked about this in staff. Uh, JJ and I have talked about this. Uh, we think Chris, I don't know, his parents are here, so they would know much better. I can't say it, but we say Chris is the, uh, is, uh, he might be, you know, like, kind of looks type B, but really type A. He's very organized, and he will get it done. Chris, we're picking on you, brother. So, but I do think there are four types. There's type A, type B. Then there's the people who look like a type A, but really type B. And then folks who might uh, look like type B, really type A. You're like, where are you going with this? Well, there are two people that we're going to look at tonight that Jesus talks to and ministers to. And one, you could easily lean to the type A personality, get it done, successful, organized. The other one, you could easily say type B. Uh, let's say more explicit, center, got some bad stuff, doesn't look perfect at all. And it, as I was studying John 3 and 4, you know, what came to mind was the uh, parable of the prodigal son. And that's, that's really kind of what we have here. We've got the older brother and the younger brother. You know, the older brother who always gets the job done. The younger brother who, you know, goes out, squanders the family fortune, ends up with the pigs, and comes back. But what I want us to see, the main thing is that Jesus speaks to all. He speaks to us in different ways. And we're going to see how he speaks to these two people in different ways. But he speaks to us all, and we need to be a church that speaks to all. Whatever type you are, and we need to be people, if we're his followers, his disciples, who say, you know, it doesn't matter what type you are, we're the family of God, family of Jesus, in his church, all are welcome. And Jesus is calling us all to him, whatever your look or whatever your type might be. So, that being said, let's start with John 3. And also on Wednesday night, if you had not been here before, we go through generally a bit more scripture than I would on a Sunday morning. And we do that, this is kind of more of an equipping service that we really want to grow one another in God's Word. So I'll be reading, not all of, but part of John 3. I'm going to start with verse 1, so if you have your Bibles, follow with me. John 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone 
who is born of the Spirit. I want to stop right there. We'll go on, but just to set it up, this man who's a ruler, who's a leader, Pharisees, he's a teacher, he uh, understands at least what we call now the Old Testament, the prophecies. He leads people, he, he teaches, he preaches, and yet he comes to Jesus. But something that is significant that you can easily miss is he comes by night. You ever wonder, like, why in Scripture? You could have just said, you know, he comes to Jesus, but he says he comes by night. And often in Scripture, when someone comes to Jesus by night, what it's really meaning is that there's a spiritual darkness kind of hovering, hovering in the air, in the atmosphere. There's something, there's a spiritual darkness, maybe with the person coming to him, maybe at the time, and this person's coming to him at night. Jesus is going to pick up on night, darkness, and light later. He comes to him by night, and he says, you know, we see you're doing these signs, and, and so you've got to be someone who knows God. But Jesus responds, and he says, unless you're born again, you know, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What's interesting is that Jesus totally throws him off. He says, you're interested in, you know, these signs, these healings. I'm telling you to be born again. How often is that for us? I know it is in my life where, you know, you could see a miraculous sign. Uh, maybe a, a great word that someone gives. Maybe a healing. You're like, how did that happen? How did someone do it? And Jesus always brings us back to, you've got to be born again. Most important is your salvation, is being saved. And Jesus says, you know, it's not what I do, it's who I am. And you must be born again. Nicodemus, though, he keeps pushing him. I mean, he, he is, I think, a type A. He, like, wants to know... Like, I don't get that, man. I mean, born again, how do you do what you do? How, how does this happen? I, I want to know, and I think Nicodemus is saying, like sometimes we do, like I know I do, like I want to do that. How, how do you do this? Jesus comes back, you've got to be born again. It starts inside your heart, not outside in what you do. Our faith is not about our works, it's about what we believe in our heart, and Jesus goes to that. So he says, you know, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And often we think, okay, he's born of water and spirit. Yeah, baptism, right? And, and Holy Spirit. Uh, but actually, Jesus is, is really, I don't think, and a lot of people who study this much more than I do, he's not talking about our baptism. We've got the baptismal up here. He is talking about living water that we'll see in chapter 4. It's like the flood of God over our hearts. He keeps going back to the heart. I want to turn to... Another couple of verses. You don't have to. I'm just going to read them to you. It's in Ezekiel. Some of you are like, oh, man, Ezekiel. Some of you all never, well, I'm going to be hard on you, but uh, I don't touch Ezekiel very much. So you all probably uh, don't either. But uh, I know when we do, our, uh, we do a daily Bible reading in our men's group, and whenever it hits Ezekiel, we're like, oh, man, it's going to be a hard month. So anyway, but it's the Word of God. Ezekiel 36. I'm going to read verse 25 through 27. I believe this is what Jesus is talking about here. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is God talking here, and he's saying he will give the water. It's an eternal water. It's a spiritual water that cleanse us from the inside out, not from the outside in. 
And he says, I'll give you my spirit. Jesus refers to that. You don't be born again by water and the spirit, starting from the inside. And it has to have the Holy Spirit. And then I just want to show you all verse 8. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Let me say this here. Jesus says, the wind blows where it will, and it's like that with the Holy Spirit. You know, I could do all the preaching and teaching uh, for my entire life. Uh, we could do all the worship and singing. We could do all the, the small group Bible studies, getting together. But if the wind doesn't blow into your heart, you still just be like going through the motions, doing the, the humdrum, like I like to say, of your life. You have to literally like, know that the wind is blowing. I believe the wind is blowing here, but sometimes you're like, man, the wind ain't blowing. Converted to be saved, to be new, to be made whole, it takes the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is clear here. Sometimes the wind blows stronger in some places than others. Now, that's a mystery. We, we don't know that. But I feel like I've seen that in certain places where the wind is blowing stronger. Maybe it is in an individual relationship. Maybe it is in a particular service. Maybe it is on a mission trip. Jesus says, the wind blows where it will, but our only way for salvation is to say the wind is blowing and it floods your heart and we're, we're saved. So Nicodemus comes, like many of us do, we want to know the how and the external and how do you do this, how do you get it done? Jesus says, it starts inside, Nicodemus. It's not about the exterior, it's about the interior. It starts in your heart by water and the Spirit. Pick up verse 9. Nicodemus continues to question him, I think like a good type A person does, like, well, how is this? How is this? He even says, how can these things be? It's the second time he said, how, Jesus, how? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? You're, you're a teacher, you should know these things. And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You may be like, where, where is this going? Here's, here's where I think it could go. Uh, often, if we're a type A and we get it done and we want to know the how, and how things work, and, uh, but the lines are here, you can't, and then we see someone, let's say like the younger brother and the prodigal son, let's just a real explicit sinner, somebody walks through these doors, say had multiple affairs, just, just, just rolling in sin, you, you know, we're all sinners, but this is like, man, I'm proud of my sin, you know, and the wind of the Holy Spirit, they pick it up, and their heart melts, and they change. The type A, we're like, how did that happen? We even might say that shouldn't happen. It doesn't seem right. Because that's, that's coloring outside the lines. They, they don't look like a Christian. They don't look like they've had a heart change. I believe Jesus is saying this to him. He's like, you should know these things. You continue to focus on how things look, on what is on the outside. It's about me. He even says at the end that I will be lifted up. Verse 15. And whoever believes in me would have eternal life. Regardless, I'll say this over and over, I'll say it till they die, who we are, where we've been, what we've done, 
Jesus clear, believe in Him, and we're good. Have eternal life. We will stumble, as I said Sunday, but it starts there. And then we pick up on probably the verse that all of us, maybe the first one we ever knew by heart. Verse 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I want to key in on just one simple word there before moving on. And it's the word for. For. Because really, verse 15 and verse 16 are to connect. We always start with verse 16, you know, for God so loved the world. But Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me, Jesus says, has eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So Jesus is saying, you have to believe in me. And because of that, God so loved the world, all of you. And this was a radical statement in this time because he was talking to a Pharisee, a Jew. And this Jew, this Pharisee thought, well, yeah, God, God loves me and God loves us, our, our tribe, Israel. Jesus said, no, God loves the world. So God sent his son. Jesus saying, God sent me for all the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. It's a radical change. And I'm sure, well, I'm not sure because I wasn't there, but you can imagine this type A, you know, coloring the lines. Nicodemus like, whoa, I thought we just had it. And we were to borrow freight. You know, we're the frozen chosen. We're God's people. Jesus says, now he loves the world. He loves everybody. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I want to stop right there. God sent. God is in the sending business. Y'all are here, we're gathered together, but when our hearts are melted, and when we're saved by the water that God cleanses us, by the Spirit, we're sent too. And Whole Foods just opened a couple days ago. Jill said, I hope I never hear Whole Foods again, because some of you folks... <laughs> but you did. It's, it's okay. But, I'm t- you know, we're sent, and I, I really, you know, Jeremy and I talk about this a lot. We want to stress this corner. We want to stress these neighborhoods. We want to stress this city. We are to be sent too. If, if, if our hearts are centered in Jesus, we're sent out in the world. Like, well, what do I do? Well, we're to live uh, as Christ would, to go as we go in our jobs. You know, tomorrow, Thursday, go back to work. You're sent. I believe you're here. You're not just searching. You believe. So you're sent. You have a mission. You have a grand purpose of your life. It could start tomorrow. You could you know, renew your, your walk. You could renew your work as a child sent by God because God's in the sending business and he first sent his son and now he's sending us. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Remember I said Nicodemus came in the night? Like, why did John write that? She's talking about light and darkness. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. I don't know what you think about 
Christian faith. I don't know what you think about you know, your life in Christ. We have big churchy words, your salvation. Uh, but the gospel, one of the most famous passages, what I just read, that light has come into the world and darkness cannot, uh, cannot overcome it. And if you ever, you know, if you, if you go camping, if you're in the, you know, fires, building fires, starting fires, you know, light uh, consumes darkness. Light's coming to the world in Jesus. My wife and I were talking today, and some of y'all are realizing, you get your best ideas from your wife, I do. And uh, she was t- we were talking about this, and I was like, help me through this, you know, you know, because what Jesus is saying there is what we like to call the gospel. And we thought, that's a church you were, what's the go- gospel, gospel? You know, here's the gospel. It would be like my, my boys, uh, they love Legos. They all love Legos. They got a big, big pile. Um, it's not a bucket. It's like a big bag of Legos. And they love their Legos. And it's like, be like us saying to our kids, okay, you know what we can give you? We can give you this awesome down payment on a house. And we can give you your perfect spouse, Jack, Logan, Ethan, and then they say, I just want my Legos. I just want my Legos. You're like, no, I mean, when you grow up, we've got it taken care of. We got your house. We got that taken. And we've got the perfect, in my case, you know, our boys, bride for you. I just want my Legos. I just want my toys. That is so often like our life and how we see the gospel. God is offering us a perfect home, down payment on it in Christ, and a perfect, forgive me, ladies, bride that we are, Jesus the bride of the church, that we're married and united to him for all eternity. We're like, I just want my toys. I just want my toys. That's the gospel. He gives us all that. And, I, you know, you can thank Linda, but if we can see it like that, that all that he gives us, it does melt our heart. And then we say, you didn't just create me, God. You've saved me, and I owe you everything. The hard part that sometimes I have to preach, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really like to, cause, you know, but I trust the Holy Spirit breathes through it. It's what Jesus said in verse 18. If we don't know that, if we don't realize that, we are condemned already. It doesn't matter if we hadn't been in prison or if we hadn't had any affairs or you know, if we haven't you know, done anything externally wrong that we think on our own, we stand before God, we're condemned as sinners. Again, that's the, it's like the tough part. You kind of have to swallow with the gospel. And the good part is he offers this wonderful home. He offers this wonderful person to be united with. That's the gospel and being saved. You know, we don't know what Nicodemus said or how he responded. It doesn't say. Nicodemus, these are just my thoughts. Because he might not have responded, John doesn't say that. He does respond later, but like I think a lot of type A's, got to figure it out, got to do the right thing. Sometimes it takes some work. Like the older brother, it never says what happened to him either. It was the younger brother who fully repented. So let's move to that other type in John 4. This is a very, very different type person than the, the leader uh, went to all the best schools, you know, is the ruler of a community. This is a woman who is a pretty explicit sinner. I mean, honestly, if the woman at the well came to this church, she would raise some eyebrows because, as we know, she's had multiple husbands, you know, living with a guy right now, and let's see how Jesus speaks to her. 
So John 4, and again, we go through a lot of scripture, so bear with me. John 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, I didn't pronounce that right, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give, that I will give, will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I'll stop right there. A couple things real quick. It's very interesting that this is happening, what they call Jacob's well. Now, you may not know a lot about Jacob. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to Genesis. But interesting that he meets this woman and this type of woman at Jacob's well. Now, Jacob was... You know, one of the great patriarchs, a man, you know, in the line of God, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. However, Jacob was, I'd just say, he's a pretty bad side starting out. Uh, he was a trickster. Uh, he cheated his brother from what was rightly his, so he, he more or less stole his inheritance, uh, a birthright that was not his. And yet God chose him and used him. Jacob, I would think, was the type A, do it right get everything done. He was he's a scoundrel. And God changed him, but Jacob even questioned God and he wrestled with God. So he had some, he had some issues, you might like to say. And here at his well, Jesus meets this woman. First off, uh, she was racially different. I'm not trying to like throw the race card in that, but she's a Samaritan. And people that Jesus was mainly hanging out with, the Jewish folks, did not mix with these other types of folks. Uh, Much less did they speak to them, much less did they ask that they would give them something. And Jesus does it all. He speaks to her and he says, would you give me some water? That's that's a pretty big deal. He's like, you have something that I need and would you you give me that? And she says, "Why, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for this water? Jesus God so loved the world. Jesus came for all, for everybody. Our church should be for everyone. That's easier said than done because we like to hang around folks that we like to hang around. But as we grow this church, we want to open these doors for people like the woman of Samaria who's like, you know, just got, you know, big, fat, whatever, capital letter, sin. We only say A, you know, 
Jesus is for her. Jesus loved her. But Jesus sees a couple things in her, and he sees a couple things in us. And this is how I'll close it out, uh, but it's, it's not that short, so just bear with me. He first sees her thirst. Jesus is thirsty, but Jesus sees in her this thirst for something. She's, look, she's tried many husbands to have a great life, a happy life. Hadn't gone away. She's thirsty for life. And the water that she has always drank has never fulfilled her. Jesus sees her thirst. Jesus sees our thirst. Some of you come in here and, you know, we can highlight it with job or with family or with spouse or with relationship. And we're thirsty for something and we can't really define it. We don't know what it is. Jesus says to you too, I see your thirst and I see that you're reaching for this water or other forms of liquid that will never fill you up. And he says, I have this, I offer this living water. And the woman says, man, give it to me. How? How? Jesus sees our thirst. He also sees our thirst. He sees our heart. He sees your heart. That can be a scary deal. He sees the woman's heart. Picking up in uh, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus sees our thirst. He sees our heart. Saw this woman, uh, her sin, uh, that she was, to use an old-fashioned phrase, living in sin. But she had lived in sin for a long time. She was in sin. Jesus saw her heart, and he was not judgmental. He was offering. He's like, to me. Jesus sees our thirst. He sees our heart. He sees our sin. And he sees our deal. He sees our brokenness. And he is not there to condemn us. He's there to say, I offer you the water, I offer you cleansing water to heal your heart so that you would go and sin no more. And then he offers us worship. And we use that word to say, you know, yeah, this is the time of the service where we, we worship. Or, you know, I listen to tunes in my car, so that's my worship time going to, to work or coming back from work. So my, my worship is in music, and rightly so. But when we realize that he sees our thirst, and he sees our heart, and we bow down before him, we should live lives of worship. Chris and I talk about all this time. Worship does not necessarily mean music. It means your life, living a life of worship. Where you are, let me use this phrase, you're literally playing the gospel. Talked about that over and over in your mind. If you need to use the story about the Legos and the house, and so, but you've learned, you're learning the chords of the gospel, and you're playing it, and you're living it. And it's joy to you. And it's music to your ears. A music that no earthly song could ever bring. 
and we're worshiping. What does a person who's saved look like? They realize Jesus sees their thirst, offers them living water, sees their heart, they repent, and lives a life of worship. And then last, it doesn't end there, because worshiping is, it is, about, it is about us and communing with God and our thoughts, looking into God's Word, but then worship should lead us to witness, to witness in what God has done in us and in this world and what God can do for another person. So the last passage I'll read, the woman, she runs to the city, the community in Samaria, other people, different people, and tells them about this man Jesus and how this encounter has changed her heart and her life. And what happens? Other people get to know him. Other people come to Christ. Verse 39 through 42. Last passage we'll read tonight. Many Samaritans from that town, because of the woman, the very broken, whatever type, but definitely big, explicit sinner, she went and talked to Jesus. So many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, she said. He tells us all we ever do. Hope you realize that. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. He stayed with these folks, different folks, ministering to them. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me close with this. We are certainly, me, staff, Lay leaders, great disciples, we're not Jesus. We can witness to him and say, look at what God has done. He's seen my thirst. He's seen my heart. We worship him. We play the gospel. We've learned its chords. We'll sing it, even though I can't sing. And we witness. And that draws people to Jesus, to his word, to a church where he is proclaimed in his Holy Spirit. And Jesus changes the heart. That's what happens here. The woman came and just witnessed and gave testimony. And she led people to Jesus. And he spent time with them as he will spend time with you tonight. And he saved them. And he changed them. So, and what I want for my life daily, what I want for us, for this church, no, he sees your thirst offers living water. He sees your heart. And he's not there to say, you know, he's not, say, he's not there to say, you know, you're, you're going to hell. He's there to say, come to me and I'll melt your heart. I'll cleanse your heart. And then we can live in worship and we can go and witness. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, uh, your word is, uh, your word is truth. Your word is grace. We can spend so much time I know I do, reading newspapers or blogs or good mystery novels or even t spending our time you know, watching and reading so many things. And I, I pray that you would uh, center and uh, infect us with this desire for your word. We say, hey, I don't under, understand it. We don't have to understand it all. We can, we can even start with John 3.16. We can start with the woman at the well and see what you offered her and what you offer us. And so I pray tonight as we, uh, as we close here, as we open up the altars, as we pray together, 
as we pray for both our physical and our spiritual needs, uh, you would again melt our hearts. And that you do so daily, and we'd worship daily in our minds, in your word, by your spirit. That this would be a house of worship where music would ring from this corner, seen in lives impacted by Jesus to be sent to give light of you. Because we are in a dark place, and not just because it's winter and it's cold. There's darkness, but light overcomes darkness, and you've done that. Pray we'd know what you give us, that you give us this wonderful down payment on a home. You give us this wonderful person to be united with forever who saves us. In your name we pray. Amen.